Good evening, and welcome to the Dreary Midnight Podcast. Uh, my name is Lisa, my pronouns are she, they. My name is Celeste, my pronouns are she, her. And today for our Halloween special, uh, we are doing several stories by Edgar Allan Poe. Our so, namesake. Yeah, I feel like we need to make this a tradition, but... Well, you did the uh, Red Death Ma- Yeah, Mask of the Red Death back in December. Uh, so for our Halloween special, uh, we're doing three today. Mm-hmm. We're doing Shadow a Parable, Silence a Fable, and the Cask of Amontillado. Woo! <laughs> you knew I couldn't pronounce that. <laughs> well, I can't pronounce all the Greek that, you know, you've yeah. been helping. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, Psalm of David, ye who read are still among the living, but I who write shall have long since gone my way into the region of shadows. For indeed strange things shall happen, and these secret things be known, and many centuries shall pass away, ere these memorials be seen of men. And when seen, there will be some to disbelieve, and some to doubt, and yet a few who will find much to ponder upon in the characters here, graven with the stylus of iron. The year had been a year of terror, and of feelings more intense than terror, for which there is no name upon the earth. For many prodigies and signs had taken place, and far and wide, over sea and land, the black wings of the pestilence were spread abroad. To those, nevertheless, cunning in the stars, it was not unknown that the heavens wore an aspect of ill. And to me, the Greek oinos, among others, it was evident that now had arrived the alternation of that 794th year when, at the entrance of Aries, the planet Jupiter is conjoined with the red ring of the terrible Saturnus. The peculiar spirit of the skies, if I mistake not greatly, made itself manifest not only in the physical orb of the earth, but in the soul's imaginations and meditations of mankind. Over some flasks of red Chian wine, within the walls of a noble hall, in a dim city called Telemaeus, we sat at night, a company of seven. And to our chamber there was no entrance save by a lofty door of brass. And the door was fashioned by the artisan Kranos, and being of rare workmanship, was fastened from within. Black draperies, likewise, in the gloomy room, shut out from our view the moon, the lurid stars, and the peopleless streets, but the boding and the memory of evil, they would not be so excluded. There were things around us and about of which I can render no distinct account, things material and spiritual, heaviness in the atmosphere, a sense of suffocation, anxiety, and above all, that terrible state of existence which the nervous experience when the senses are keenly living and awake. And meanwhile, the powers of thought lie dormant. A dead weight hung upon us. It hung upon our limbs, upon the household furniture, upon the goblets from which we drank. And all things were depressed and borne down thereby, all things save only the flames of the seven lamps which illumined our revel. Uprearing themselves in tall, slender lines of light, They thus remained, burning, all pallid and motionless, and in the mirror which their luster formed upon the round table of ebony at which we sat, each of us 
there assembled beheld the pallor of his own countenance and the unquiet glare in the downcast eyes of his companions. Yet we laughed and were merry in our proper way, which was hysterical, and sang songs of Anacreon, which are madness, and drank deeply, although the purple wine reminded us of blood. For there was yet another tenant of our chamber in the person of young Zoilus, dead, and at full length he lay, enshrouded, the genius and the demon of the scene. Alas, he bore no portion in our mirth, save that his countenance, distorted within the plague, and his eyes, in which death had but half extinguished the fire of the pestilence, seemed to take such interest in our merriment as the dead may haply take in the merriment of those who are to die. But although I, Oinos, felt that the eyes of the departed were upon me, still I forced myself not to perceive the bitterness of their expression, and gazing down steadily into the depths of the ebony mirror, sang with a loud and seronious voice the songs of the son of Teus. But gradually my songs they ceased, and their echoes, rolling afar off among the sable draperies of the chamber, became weak and undistinguishable, and so faded away. And lo, from among those sable draperies where the sounds of the song departed, there came forth a dark and undefined shadow, a shadow such as the moon, when low in heaven, might fashion from the figure of a man. But it was the shadow neither of a man nor God, nor of any familiar thing. And quivering a while among the draperies of the room, it at length rested in full view upon the surface of the door of brass. But the shadow was vague and formless and indefinite, and was the shadow neither of man nor of God, neither God of Greece, nor God of Chaldea, or any Egyptian God. And the shadow rested upon the brazen doorway and under the arch of the entablature of the door, and moved not, nor spoke any word, but there became stationary and remained. And the door whereupon the shadow rested was, if I remember aright, over against the feet of the young Zoilus enshrouded. But we, the seven there assembled, having seen the shadow as it came out from among the draperies, dared not steadily behold it, but cast down our eyes and gazed continually into the depths of the mirror of ebony. And at length I, Oinos, speaking some low words, demanded of the shadow its dwelling and its appellation. And the shadow answered, I am Shadow, and my dwelling is near to the catacombs of Ptolemaeus, and hard by those dim plains of Helusian which border upon the foul Caronian canal. And then did we, the seven, start from our seats in horror, and stand trembling and shuddering and aghast, for the tones in the voice of the shadow were not the tones of any one being, but of a multitude of beings, and varying in their cadences from syllable to syllable fell duskly upon our ears in the well-remembered and familiar accents of many thousand departed friends. because it's short and but in part because it's like I was looking Creepy. up a couple of these words and it's like clearly these people are at some kind of wake mm -hmm. right Zoilus is dead yes. um and I was just looking up a couple of these words just to make sure I remembered them right 
Anacreon was an actual poet, circa 485 BC, but, um... Holy shit. Yeah, so it's meant to be very, like, ancient. And oinos is wine. Mm. I can't believe I didn't realize that earlier. I that's kept thinking we- oiko, the, the yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> so- the cask of Amontillado. The thousand injuries of Fortunato I had borne as best I could, but when he ventured upon insult, I vowed revenge. You, who so well know the nature of my soul, will not suppose, however, that I gave utterance to a threat. At length, I would be avenged. This was a point definitively settled. But the very definitiveness with which it was resolved precluded the idea of risk. I must not only punish, but punish with impunity. A wrong is unredressed when retribution overtakes its redresser. It is equally unredressed when the avenger fails to make himself felt as such to him who has done the wrong. It must be understood that neither by word nor deed had I given Fortunato cause to doubt my goodwill. I continued, as was my wont, to smile in his face, and he did not perceive that my smile now was at the thought of his immolation. He had a weak point, this Fortunato, although in other regards he was a man to be respected and even feared. He prided himself in his connoisseurship in wine. Few Italians have the true virtuoso spirit. For the most part, their enthusiasm is adopted to suit the time and opportunity, to practice and posture upon the British and Austrian millionaires. In painting and gemmary, Fortunato, like his countrymen, was a quack, but in the matter of old wines, he was sincere. In this respect, I did not differ from him materially. I was skillful in the Italian vintages myself and bought largely whenever I could. It was about dusk, one evening during the supreme madness of the carnival season, that I encountered my friend. He accosted me with excessive warmth, for he had been drinking much. The man wore motley. He had on a tight-fitting party-striped dress, and his head was surmounted by the conical cap and bells. I was so pleased to see him that I thought I should never have done wringing his hand. I said to him, My dear Fortunato, you are luckily met. How remarkably well you are looking today. But I have received a pipe of what passes for Amontillado, and I have my doubts. How? Amontillado? A pipe? Impossible! And in the middle of the carnival! I have my doubts, and I was silly enough to pay the full Amontillado price without consulting you in the matter. You were not to be found, and I was fearful of losing a bargain. Amontillado? I have my doubts. Amontillado! And I must satisfy that. Amontillado! As you are engaged, I am on my way to Lucchesi. If anyone has a critical turn, it is he. He will tell me. Lucchesi cannot tell Amontillado from Sherry. And yet some fools will have it that his taste is a match for your own. Come, let us go. Whither? To your vaults. My friend, no, I will not impose upon your good nature. I perceive you have an engagement. Lucchesi... I have no engagement. Come. My friend, no, it is not the engagement, but the severe cold with which I perceive you are afflicted. The vaults are unsufferably damp. They are encrusted with nitre. Let us go nevertheless. The cold is merely nothing. Amontillado, you have been imposed upon, and as for Lucchesi, he cannot distinguish Sherry from Amontillado. Thus speaking, Fortunato possessed himself of my arm. 
putting on a mask of black silk and, and drawing a roquelaire closely about my person, I suffered him to hurry me to my palazzo. There were no attendants at home. They had absconded to make merry in honor of the time. I had told them that I should not return until the morning and had given them explicit orders not to stir from the house. These orders were sufficient, I well knew, to ensure their immediate disappearance, one and all, as soon as my back was turned. <laughs> I took from their sconces two flambeaux and giving one to Fortunato, bowed him through several suites of rooms to the archway that led into the vaults. I passed down a long and winding staircase, requesting him to be cautious as he followed. We came at length to the foot of the descent and stood together on the damp ground of the catacombs of the Montresors. The gait of my friend was unsteady and the bells upon his cap jingled as he strode. The pipe? It is farther on, but observe the white webwork which gleams from these cavern walls. He turned toward me and looked into my eyes with two filmy orbs that distilled the room of intoxication. Nature? He asked at length. Nature, how long have you had that cough? <coughs> My poor friend found it impossible to reply for many minutes. It is nothing, he said at last. Come, I said with decision. We will go back. Your health is precious. You are rich, respected, admired, beloved. You are happy as once I was. You are a man to be missed. For me, it is no matter. We will go back. You will be ill, and I cannot be responsible. Besides, there is Lucrezia. <laughs> the cough is a mere nothing. It will not kill me. I shall not die of a cough. True, true. <clears throat> and indeed, I had no intention of alarming you unnecessarily, but you should use all proper caution. A draught of this medoc will defend us from the damps. Here, I knocked off the neck of a bottle which I drew from a long row of its fellows that lay upon the mold. Drink, I said, presenting him the wine. He raised it to his lips with a leer. He paused and nodded to me familiarly while his bells jingled. I drink to the buried that repose around us. And I drink to your long life. He again took my arm and we proceeded. These vaults are extensive. The Montresors were a great and numerous family. I forget your arm. A huge human foot door in a field azure. The foot crushes a serpent rampant whose fangs are embedded in the heel. And the motto? Nemo me impune lacasit. Good! The wine sparkled in his eyes and the bells jingled. My own fancy grew warm with the medoc. We had passed through the walls of piled bones with casks and puncheons intermingling into the inmost recesses of the catacombs. I paused again, and this time I made bold to seize Fortunato by an arm above the elbow. The nitre! See, it increases. It hangs like moss upon the vaults. We are below the river's bed. The drops of moisture trickle among the bones. Come, we will go back ere it's too late. Your cough. <laughs> it is nothing. Let us go on. But first, another draft of the medoc. I broke and reached him a flagon of de Grave. He emptied it at a breath. His eyes flashed with a fierce light. He laughed and threw the bottle upward with a gesticulation I did not understand. I looked at him in surprise. He repeated the movement, a grotesque one. You do not comprehend? Not I. Then you are not of the Brotherhood. How? You are not of the Masons. Yes, yes. 
Yes, yes. You impossible, a mason? A mason. A sign. It is this. It is this, I answered, producing a trowel from beneath the folds of my roquelaure. You jest! He exclaimed, <laughs> recoiling a few paces. But let us proceed to the Amontillado. Be it so, I said, replacing the tool beneath the cloak and again offering him my arm. He leaned upon it heavily. We continued our route in search of the Amontillado. We passed through a range of low arches, descended, passed on, and descending again, arrived at a deep crypt in which the foulness of the air caused our flambeau rather to glow than flame. At the most remote end of the crypt, there appeared another less spacious. Its walls had been lined with human remains piled to the vault overhead in the fashion of the great catacombs of Paris. Three sides of this interior crypt were still ornamented in this manner. From the fourth, the bones had been thrown down and laid promiscuously upon the earth, forming at one point a mound of some size. Within the wall thus exposed by the displacing of the bones, we perceived a still interior recess, in depth about four feet, in width three, in height six or seven. It seemed to have been constructed for no especial use within itself, but formed merely the interval between two of the colossal supports of the roof of the catacombs, and was backed by one of their circumscribing walls of solid granite. It was in vain that Fortunato, uplifting his dull torch, endeavored to pry into the depth of that recess. Its termination, the feeble light did not enable us to see. Proceed, I said. Herein is the Amontillado. As for Lucchesi... He is an ignoramus, interrupted my friend as he stepped unsteadily forward while I followed immediately at his heels. In an instant, he had reached the extremity of the niche and finding his progress arrested by the rocks, stood stupidly bewildered. A moment more, and I had fettered him to the granite. In its surface were two iron staples, distant from each other about two feet horizontally. From one of these depended a short chain, from the other a padlock. During the links around his waist, it was but the work of a few seconds to secure it. He was too much astounded to resist. Withdrawing the key, I stepped back from the recess. Pass your hand, I said, over the wall. You cannot help feeling the nature. Indeed, it is very damp. Once more, let me implore you to return. No, that I must positively leave you. But I must first render you all the little attentions in my power. Diamantiato, <laughs> ejaculated my friend, not yet recovered from his astonishment. True, Diamantiato. As I said these words, I busied myself among the pile of bones which I had before spoken. Throwing them aside, I soon uncovered a quantity of building stone and mortar. With these materials and with the aid of my trowel, I began vigorously to wall up the entrance of the niche. I had scarcely laid the first tier of the masonry when I discovered that the intoxication of Fortunato had in a great measure worn off. The earliest indication I had of this was a low moaning cry from the depth of the recess. It was not the cry of a drunken man. There was then a long and obstinate silence. I laid the second tier, and the third, and the fourth, and then I heard the furious vibrations of the chain. The noise lasted for several minutes, during which, that I might hearken to it with the more satisfaction, I ceased my labors and sat down upon the bones. When at last the clanking subsided, I resumed the trowel and finished without interruption the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh tier. The wall was now nearly upon a level with my breast. 
I again paused and holding the flambeau over the mason work, threw a few feeble rays upon the figure within. A succession of loud and shrill screams bursting suddenly from the throat of the chained form seemed to thrust me violently back. For a brief moment, I hesitated. I trembled. Unsheathing my rapier, I began to grope with it about the recess, but the thought of an instant reassured me. I placed my hand upon the solid fabric of the catacombs and felt satisfied. I reapproached the wall. I replied to the yells of him who clamored. I re-echoed, I aided, I surpassed them in volume and in strength. I did this and the clamorer grew still. It was now midnight and my task was drawing to a close. I had completed the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth tier. I had finished a portion of the last and the eleventh. There remained but a single stone to be fitted and plastered in. I struggled with its weight. I placed it partially in its destined position. But now there came from out of the niche a low laugh that erected the hairs upon my head. It was succeeded by a sad voice, which I had difficulty in recognizing as that of the noble Fortunato. The voice said, <laughs> A very good joke indeed. An excellent jest. We will have many a rich laugh about it at the Palazzo <laughs> over our wine. <laughs> the Amontillado. <laughs> yes, the Amontillado. But is it not getting late? Will they not be awaiting us at the Palazzo? The Lady Fortunato and the rest, let us be gone. Yes, let us be gone. For the love of God, Montresor. Yes, for the love of God. But to these words I hearkened in vain for a reply. I grew impatient. I called aloud, Fortunato! No answer. I called again, Fortunato! No answer still. I thrust the torch through the remaining aperture and let it fall within. There came forth in reply only a jingling of the bells. My heart grew sick on account of the dampness of the catacombs. I hastened to make an end of my labor. I forced the last stone into its position. I plastered it up. Against the new masonry, I re-erected the old rampart of bones. For the half of a century, no mortal has disturbed them. Empaque requiesca. That's one of the first times I've heard that. What? I haven't read it all the way through. Oh, really? In, like, many, many years. Um, it was one of the first... I think it was the first Edgar Allan Poe story that I had ever read in, yeah. like, ninth grade English. Yeah. So, it it has a place in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. It's also horrifying. Yes. Because he's just, like... I feel like burying him grade, alive. Yeah, I feel like I wouldn't have gotten it in ninth grade, but it's very much like a oh, you're chaining him in the catacombs, and then just to be sure, you're you're like molding him in. Like, yeah, <laughs> because he wants him to. Su and you know the most disturbing part? We didn't even mm. know what Fortunato did. Mm. Like he could have deserved it, but he probably didn't. Yeah, because all he says about the only bad thing if i remember correctly the only bad thing he says he's kind of a quack when it comes to like he gems said and stuff. in the beginning he insulted him but what kind of insult makes yeah. it so that you can you have to get buried alive yeah right <laughs> uh i think Montresor was a little 
off his rocker. Yeah. Well, that's the other almost terrifying thing. The way he narrates, it doesn't seem like he's off his rocker, which is even scarier, right? Yeah. Silence. A fable. Yudosin Doroyo Korufai Tekai Farangas Proones Tekai Karatrai. The mountain pinnacle slumber, valleys, crags, and caves are silent. Listen to me, said the demon, as he placed his hand upon my head. The region of which I speak is a dreary region in Libya, by the borders of the river Zaire, and there there is no quiet there, nor silence. The waters of the river have a saffron and sickly hue, and they flow not onwards to the sea, but palpitate forever and forever beneath the red eye of the sun with a tumultuous and convulsive motion. For many miles on either side of the river's oozy bed is a pale desert of gigantic water lilies. They sigh one unto the other in that solitude and stretch towards the heaven their long and ghastly necks and nod to and fro their everlasting heads. And there is an indistinct murmur which cometh out from among them like the rushing of subterranean water. And they sigh one unto the other. But there is a boundary to their realm, the boundary of the dark, horrible, lofty forest. There, like the waves about the Hebrides, the low underwood is agitated continually. But there is no wind throughout the heaven, and the tall primeval trees rock eternally hither and thither with a crashing and uh, mighty sound. And from their high summits, one by one, drop everlasting dews, and at the roots strange poisonous flowers lie writhing in perturbed slumber and overhead with a rustling and loud noise the gray clouds rush westwardly forever until they roll a cataract over the fiery wall of the horizon but there is no wind throughout the heaven and by the shores of the river zaire there is neither quiet nor silence it was night and the rain fell and falling, it was rain, but having fallen, it was blood. And I stood in the morass among the tall lilies, and the rain fell upon my head, and the lilies sighed one unto the other in the solemnity of their desolation. And all at once the moon arose through the thin, ghastly mist, and was crimson in color. And mine eyes fell upon a huge gray rock, which stood by the shore of the river, and was lighted by the light of the moon. And the rock was gray and ghastly and tall, and the rock was gray. Upon its front were characters engraven in the stone. And I walked through the morass of water lilies until I came close unto the shore, that I might read the characters upon the stone, but I could not decipher them. And I was going back into the morass when the moon shone with a fuller red, and I turned and looked again upon the rock, and upon the characters, and the characters were desolation. And I looked upwards, and there stood a man upon the summit of the rock, and I hid myself among the water lilies that I might discover the actions of the man. 
and the man was tall and stately in form, and wrapped up from his shoulders to his feet in the toga of old Rome. And the outlines of his figure were indistinct, but his features were the features of a deity. For the mantle of the night and of the mist, and of the moon and of the dew, he had left uncovered the features of his face. And his brow was lofty with thought, and his eye wild with care. And in the few furrows upon his cheek, I read the fables of sorrow and weariness and disgust with mankind, and a longing after solitude. And the man sat upon the rock, and leaned his head upon his hand, and looked out upon the desolation. He looked down into the low and quiet shrubbery, and up to the tall primeval trees, and up higher at the rustling heaven, and into the crimson moon. And I lay close within the shelter of the lilies, and observed the actions of the man. And the man trembled in the solitude, but the night waned, and he sat upon the rock. And the man turned his attention from the heavens, and looked out upon the dreary river Zyre, and upon the yellow ghastly waters, and upon the pale legions of the water lilies. And the man listened to the sighs of the water lilies, and to the murmur that came up from among them. And I lay close within my covert, and observed the actions of the man. And the man trembled in solitude, but the night waned, and he sat upon the rock. Then I went down into the recesses of the morass, and waited afar in among the wilderness of the lilies, and called unto the hippopotami, which dwelt among the fens in the recesses of the morass. And the hippopotami heard my call, and came with the behemoth unto the foot of the rock, and roared loudly and fearfully beneath the moon. And I lay close within my covert, and observed the actions of the man. And the man trembled in the solitude, but the night waned, and he sat upon the rock. Then I cursed the elements with the curse of tumult, and a frightful tempest gathered in the heaven where before there had been no wind. And the heaven became livid with the violence of the tempest, and the rain beat upon the head of the man, and the floods in the river came down, and the river was tormented into foam, and the water lilies shrieked within their beds, and the forest crumbled beneath, before the wind, and the thunder rolled, and the lightning fell, and the rock rocked to its foundation. And I lay close within my covert and observed the actions of the man. And the man trembled in the solitude, but the night waned, and he sat upon the rock. Then I grew angry and cursed, with the curse of silence. The river, and the lilies, and the wind, and the forest, and the heaven, and the thunder, and the sighs of the water lilies. And they became accursed, and were still. And the moon ceased to totter its pathway up to heaven, and the thunder died away, and the lightning did not flash, and the clouds hung motionless, and the waters sunk to their level and remained. And the trees ceased to rock, and the water lilies sighed no more, and the murmur was heard no longer from among them, nor any shadow of, a, of sound throughout the vast, illimitable desert. And I looked upon the characters of the rock, and they were changed, and the characters were silence. And mine eyes fell upon the countenance of the man, and his countenance was wan with terror. And hurriedly he raised his head from his hand, and stood forth upon the rock and listened. But there was no voice throughout the vast, illimitable desert, and the characters upon the rock were silence. And the man shuddered, and turned his face away, and fled afar off, in haste, so, I, so that I beheld him no more. Now there are fine tales in the volumes of the Magi, in the iron-bound melancholy volumes of the Magi, 
Therein, I say, are glorious histories of the heaven and of the earth and of the mighty sea and of the genie that overruled the sea and the earth and the lofty heaven. There is much more lore, too, in the sayings which were said by the sibyls and holy, holy things that were heard of old by the dim leaves that trembled around Dodona. But as Allah liveth, that fable which the demon told me as he sat by my side in the shadow of the tomb, I hold to be the most wonderful of all. And as the demon made an end of his story, he fell back within the cavity of the tomb and laughed. And I could not laugh with the demon, and he cursed me because I could not laugh. And the lynx, which dwelleth forever in the tomb, came out therefrom, and lay down at the feet of the demon, and looked him steadily in the face. already dead (laughs) like that's the freakiest part of it is like oh no you're dead and all the demonic things surprise they're true yeah and you're in your tomb getting ready to die yeah that was i've never heard that one before and it was a wild ride yeah and i like it (laughs) and i hope you liked it yes uh dear listeners thank you for uh joining um shout out to epidemic sound for all of our music needs and if you want to support the show, uh, join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash drearymidnight. If you want to follow us on socials, uh, we are at, at instagram.com slash drearymidnightpod. Uh, send us an email, your own spooky stories. Uh, we might do another Real People's Real Stories in December. Only if we get them, though. <laughs> and uh, the best way to do that is drearymidnightpodcast at gmail.com. And all that said... Don't chain people in catacombs. And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween and safe travels home on this dreary midnight. Good night. Good It's okay if you mess up because he's supposed to be drunk anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I might keep saying it several times just to like. (laughs) That thing. That thing. You know, the thing. (laughs) Okay. And the hip.